Father, thank you again for this evening. And uh, too many nights already I've stepped in here and forgot to acknowledge you and my reliance upon you. And so tonight I, I want these people to know that I'm not relying on myself, um, but I'm relying on you tonight. And continue your work through your word and through your Holy Spirit in your people's lives tonight. I pray all this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen. Okay, you say, Preacher, are you going to talk about biblical counseling again tonight? Like, yeah. Biblical discipleship, yeah. Why? Because it is really everywhere you go. It really is. Um, Some of the pulpit tonight, but does it happen when Pastor Carl's preaching? All the time. Every, when he is preaching, he's exhorting with God's word, and he is doing biblical counseling from the pulpit. Um, in the last week, I haven't been at the pulpit, but I've been doing a lot of biblical counseling. And not necessarily with folks here, but the more people you meet and the more people you know, and you just continue to meet and know and understand and have more people the more situations are going to open up that your phone rings, your FaceTiming, you're in person with somebody. But I've had, in the last week, I've had numbers of situations of biblical counseling situations. And you have too. You might not have known it, but you have too. You say, somebody says, what's all this creation stuff about? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to go tell them about Genesis, right? And about creation, right? Somebody says, is there really, is there really a, a triune Godhead situation? Like, uh, I thought there was only one God. And I'm like, so what are you going to do? Uh, I don't know what they're... Yeah, you're going to tell them about God. You're going to tell them about the Trinity. You're going to try to walk through it best you can. Somebody says, you know, uh, I, I'm engaged. Um, I've been dating this guy or this girl for quite a while. And... Can I do this or can I do that before marriage? What are you going to do? What are you going to tell them? Can, can we have sex before we're married? I mean, what are you going to tell them? Oh, sure, green light, go ahead. No! <laughs> You're going to talk to them about what the Word of God says, right? Uh, some husband or wife comes up to you and they're like, yeah, I'm really struggling in my marriage and... And uh, what, what's, what's my role? I mean, what does God expect from me? I'm a new Christian or I'm a little Christian. What, what are you going to do? You're going to instantly, you got some verses in your head and in your heart and chapter content. You're going to go and talk to them about the, their role and about the marriage situation. Somebody says, man, I'm really struggling with my children. Does the Bible have anything to say about raising children in a Christian home? What are you going to do? I don't know. Pastor Carl! Really? Are you really going to call Pastor Carl every time somebody asks you some question about the Bible? Really? Aren't we supposed to know the Bible as Christians and talk to people about the Bible? What are you going to do when somebody says, I've heard about, you know, I need to get saved or something like that. Like, what, what, what are you going to do? You're going to explain to them their need for Jesus Christ And that is all called biblical what? You're going to give them biblical what? Counsel or wisdom, right? Yeah. So you do that all the time, even though you haven't thought about that. You have been a biblical counselor. Guess what? 
You're a Bible, Bible counselor. You're a biblical counselor tonight. We do it all the time, folks. And tonight, I really want to impress upon you. I'm not going to try and go fast for the sake of going fast, but tonight I want to like, impress upon you the, the need for biblical counseling is the topic. Really? I mean, come on now. Isn't that for when you have your master's or your PhD or something like that? Or isn't there these biblical counseling uh, places that you go to and you check in and you, you, you get an appointment and you pay $100 an hour? And tonight I'm going to explain to you and continue to help you understand the huge need for Bible counsel to others, okay? So, you've got outlines, and we're going to roll pretty quick. We're going to go through some major narratives of why we need biblical counseling so much. Okay, so, I'm just going to race through. We've got some of this nailed down, and if you don't have it, if they're blanks, you're just probably going to miss a bunch, but I'm sorry. I just want to continue to get moving on this tonight. The whole thing I want you to think about is why the need for biblical counsel to people. Why? To other Christians. Well, this is why. Number one, the need began when wrong counsel was chosen back in Genesis 3, folks. Man had, I'm just going down through this outline, man had divine counsel before the fall, didn't he? He had God to tell him everything he needed to know. I mean, he walked and talked with God all the time. And so he had divine counsel, perfect counsel. He lacked nothing at all. And folks, tonight I have, to, I have to relate everything to application from the then and there and the here and now tonight, right? And so the then and there, God talked to Adam and Eve. He gave them perfect counsel. And tonight, still, God talks to us with perfect, perfect counsel, doesn't he? Yes. So, uh, letter B, man turned from divine counsel to devilish counsel. And I'm skipping some of these blanks here, but let her be man turn from divine counsel to devilish counsel. Folks, number one, only two kinds of counsel, and I need to stress this over and over and over. God's counsel, which is his word. God's counsel, which is his word. And little letter B, Satan's counsel, which is what? A lie. So continue to get that through, going through your head tonight. These are elementary. You get this, you understand this, but I want you to understand this huge need constantly for biblical counsel today. They're either trusting in, we're talking about Christians, they're either trusting in God's word or they're trusting in Satan's lie. And you say, who would trust in Satan's lie? Come on, do you really think a Christian, or do you really think if I love Jesus, I'm really going to bite on Satan's lie? All the time we do, folks. All the time. But it's not wrapped up in a pretty package and it doesn't just say, hey, Satan's lie. Most of the time, it's wrapped up and disguised in some kind of package. It looks like Christendom or some kind of uh, uh, thing from God, but it's not. And I want you to see some of this tonight. So there's only two kinds of counsel. I'm going to skip over two and the subpoints there. Um, we've seen, we have seen man, uh, we've seen man for, had divine counsel before the fall. Okay, that's right where it starts. Divine, perfect counsel. Don't need any biblical counseling. Adam doesn't need to counsel Eve. Eve doesn't counsel Adam. God's counseling them. They're perfect. They've got perfect counsel. Man turned from divine counsel to devilish counsel. And now in letter C, this is we're going to keep continue. We, we went through this. Letter C, the consequences of rejection 
of divine counsel. And it didn't go through chapter 3. You know that pretty well. Satan came in. He, he, he disrupted. He disturbed. He distorted everything. And, and we see sin come into the world. Let us see the consequences of rejection of divine counsel. Number one, we've seen eternal consequences. We've seen letter A, physical death. If you eat this, if you, if you disobey, you're surely going to what? Die. You're surely going to die. Physical death. And letter B, we've seen eternal death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. So not only are you physically going to die, and we're all headed to the grave unless you know, Jesus comes back to rapture the church before you leave. We're all heading towards the grave. We used to have muscles like this, men, right? But now our muscles are going like this. We're, 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 we're going downhill until we die. Uh, there's physical death and eternal death. That's something Doc O would say from the pulpit. Daka, you guys are going to love him. He was, he was my president at Northland when I was there. And uh, you're going to love the men's retreat. You're going to love Daka. Uh, dry humor, but he's a tremendous preacher. Um, so the consequences, uh, immediate consequences to everyday life. Everyday life. You don't, it's not like, we're not dead tonight, right? You're sitting there, you're breathing. Look around each other. Take a look at each other beside you. Say Hi. Say hi. So we're all breathing, we're living, but guess what? Today, because of wrong decisions, because of not believing God's word, but believing Satan's lie, there are everyday present consequences, aren't there? And that's why in the last week, I've been doing some situations of biblical counseling because there are some situations that need it because of the present everyday life we live in. So, number one, the need for biblical counsel began when wrong counsel was chosen. Number two, this is where we want to pick up now. And this is where I really want to bombard you with. I want you to leave tonight and like, well, I know there's a need for biblical counseling. And I know we're all born in sin. And I know the depravity of, you know, you get past from Genesis 3 until you get to Revelation at a certain point, And it's all sin and, and man, men and women needing a savior and needing sanctification through Jesus Christ. And, but I want you to realize, oh, wow, this is bad. This is difficult, even as we are Christians. Okay, so number two, I want you to look at the downward spiral. In letter A, the first man born. So let's go ahead and go to Genesis 4. And you're familiar with this passage, but let's go through a lot of familiar narratives tonight. First man born, Genesis chapter 1, or chapter 4, I'm sorry. And I want you to just note, we'll go quickly through this, but I want you to note, at every one of these junctures, Cain could have made a right, responsible choice, couldn't he have? He had a choice to make at every one of these junctures. We're going to see Cain had a decision. And you don't see Cain's decision wrapped up in, okay, Cain, Satan lie, take this box, or God's word, take this box. No, he made a decision. Instead, he continued the downward spiral and increasing consequences of sin. So in chapter 4, <laughs> this is pretty gross, but I am actually spitting up here. You know, when you're in a classroom, right, you stay away from the first row because when the preacher's so exciting, there's, there's Dr. Sam Horn. I mean, I was third row back because he was just like, he was, yeah. 
So, all right, verse 3. Verse 3. Genesis chapter 4. And I want to start in on verse 3. And this is, Pastor Carl already preached this maybe a couple weeks ago, I believe. There's an unacceptable offer here. In verse 3 it says, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And as we go down through this progression, this downward spiral, it's going to explain, you say, where does it say unacceptable offer? Where it, You're going to see it here. The second spiraling here is, I don't know, do I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on your outline here? Okay, so number two, reminded of Abel's offering. Reminded of Abel, Abel's offering. And this is at the first part of verse four. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. Number three, now watch us spiraling down, folks. Decision, and it just brings a spiraling in the immediate context of Cain and Abel's day. Number three, Abel's offering accepted, the second part of verse four. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Verse uh, number four, Cain was hot. Hey, have you ever been hot before? You're afraid to answer. I don't want to see your hand raised or anything like that, but we've all been hot before, haven't we? As Christians, haven't we? And so Cain was hot within, very angry, fallen continence. Um, look at verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his continence fell. And look at number 5, God's confrontation. Here comes biblical counseling from the biblical counselor, folks. Verses 6 and 7, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So God confronts him. Number 6, Cain slew, or he kills Abel in verse 8. Look, I mean... How much worse of a downward spiral can you get, folks? Verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him, kills him. And number 7, God here says, Where is thy brother? In verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain answers. He goes, Am I? Really, could you really see somebody saying, like, really, God, really, am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, thy brother's blood crieth from the ground. It's a spiral, folks. Whether you admit guilt or not, you are liable for punishment from God's perspective. Whether you admit it or not, you can all day long until you're blue in the face say, listen, Abel was a jerk. He, you, would you like to have a brother like Abel? I mean, he was a mama's boy, never did anything wrong. I mean, he deserved it. You can come up with any, every excuse in the book. But you're not going to get off the hook with the Lord. So there's a tremendous downward spiral here, folks. Look at verse, uh, look at number eight in your paper. Cain's focus, and here's where it boils down to, folks, and that happens a lot of times in our life. 
Cain's focus, focus was on the pressure in life. Do we ever face pressure? You ever face pressure in your marriage? Yes. You ever, did you ever face pressure rearing your children? If you haven't had children yet, don't worry. It's coming. If you have grandchildren, look it. <laughs> I doubt they're watching, but sometimes I'm looking at Brittany and Joshua. I'm like, come on, guys. These two are little sinners. And there's a lot of pressure going on here. They're pushing the parameters. So Cain's focus was on the pressure instead of the need to change. That's the big picture. There's a lot of pressure in my marriage. There's a lot of pressure in, in my, what, my children and what they're doing in the home and what's going on. There's a lot of pressure. We need to change. We need to conform. Romans 12, to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason why pressure is turned up in our life, to help us change, to help us see our need to change. What happens when somebody cuts you off? I, I heard the other day somebody cut somebody off, and, and I won't say who, but they yelled at like, you jerk, I can't believe you just did that. I'm like, really? Seriously? The pressure turned up in you. That's the result of what happened, the pressure. Couldn't you have changed and become more patient? The fruit of the Spirit, right? Fruit of the Spirit playing out in your life? It's not the pressure in our lives. It's the change that we see because of the pressure in our lives. Letter A, this is what he says because of the pressure in his life. Not, not. He says this, letter A, in verse 13. He says, my punishment is too much. Now, do you really think that God gave too much punishment to Cain for killing his brother? Yes or no? No, no way. Seriously? And then he says, well, in verse 14, he says, Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. Lord, this really isn't fair because now everybody is out to kill me. They're out to get me. Let me ask you a question. Were they really? Was really everybody out to get him? I don't think so. What's his problem? His problem is there's a pressure cooker going on in his life. And let me ask you again. Do you guys ever have pressure cookers in your life? Yeah, you better believe it. Tomorrow you might pick up the phone or later this week there might be a pressure cooker going on in your life. It never ceases, folks. They weren't out to get him. The punishment wasn't too much. What was his problem? You don't have to turn there, but 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 says this. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother... And wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. What was his problem? His problem was his heart attitude. His problem was, I don't want to change and become more like Jesus Christ. I don't want to change and become more like you, God. He had an evil heart. The New Testament tells us he had an evil heart. He had a wicked heart. Out of his heart proceeded evilness and wickedness. 
Does Cain need some biblical counseling? Yes? Yes. Do you ever have an evil heart? Do you ever ever have a wicked heart? Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer. Please, I'm serious. Have you ever thought wrongly about the opposite sex? Even you marrieds? Probably. What did Jesus say about that? It's not that you even did the act physically, but you thought it and it's sin, right? That's layman's terms. Is there wickedness and evilness in our heart at times? Yeah, you never know at any given day what can come out of our heart of hearts. And this is what came out of Cain's heart. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, a powerful verse. I've used this verse in the last week in some counseling. It says this. Actually, you can go there if you want. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, very powerful biblical counseling verse. You will use it over and over and over. Proverbs 28, verse 13. If you want to flip to your Bible, turn to your phone, however you can get there quick, quick enough if you haven't memorized. It says, He that covereth his sins shall not, what? Prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy, folks. They'll have mercy. And let me tell you, there's a lot of temptation at times for a Christian to cover their sins because they don't want to get in trouble. The pressure's turned up and they don't want to get in trouble. Um, turn to Psalm chapter 112, please. Psalm chapter 112. This, the, the 112th Psalm, not chapter, sorry, a little rusty here. The 112th Psalm, look at verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delight, delighteth greatly in his commandments. Verse 7 says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed trusting who? Trusting the Lord, right? And look at verse 8. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness endureth forever, his horn shall be exalted with honor. That was verse 9. I'm sorry. Verse 8. His heart is established. It's a heart thing. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. His heart's established, folks. So, letter A. The first man born. The first man born. Letter B on your outline. The effects of the wrong decision in the garden. Now, we speed up, we see uh, here's Cain and the pressure's turned up in his life. How's he going to react to it? Is he going to change to be more like God? Is he going to take that pressure cooker, that opportunity to see from his heart that he is responding like God? He wants to change to be more like God? Or does he believe the lie of Satan when the pressure's turned up? He goes down the downward spiral of the choices. Now, it didn't say Satan's lie, did it? But he chose that kind of counsel instead of God's word. The, now, let's speed up. Let's go right up to Romans chapter 1, folks. The effects of the wrong decision in the garden. And actually, sometime or another, if Christ doesn't come back too soon, and if Pastor Carl continues to let me, I have a little bit longer of a series from Romans chapter 1 on the contemporary issue today of same-sex marriage, of... Um, of the whole gender situation, maybe about a four to six weeks 
study on that, Romans chapter 1, where we are contemporarily today in society, based upon Romans 1. But we see the effects of the wrong decision in the garden in Romans 1, 20 through uh, 32. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read this quickly here, and then I'm just going to make a couple statements in the little number one and number two. So uh, you just have to see the full impact of this, and it's like it has happened in the past, and it is there today, isn't it, folks? Okay, starting out in verse 20 now. For This is it, folks. And you find some of this within the churches, within people that come to hear preaching and For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No excuse, folks. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now this is pretty much talking about the lost world, folks. But this is how far we've come from Cain. I mean, we're dealing with this type of world mentality, this type of society. Look at, look at politics lately. Look at the decisions we're making in our government. And, I mean, it's wholesale iniquity. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who change the truth of God into a lie. They take the truth of God and they actually turn it into Satan's lie. And worship and serve the creature more than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the, the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men, and me, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was met. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implicable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Folks, is there a need for biblical counseling today? It's natural for a lost person to believe the devil's lie and to follow along with that kind of counsel throughout their life. It's not natural for a believer now because we have God's word, but we still buy into Satan's lie at times. That is why we have rough marriages. That's why we can have a difficulty raising our children. That's why... um, Singles are doing things singles ought not to do. That's why people, Christians, are, are, uh, become drunkards and, and on drugs and, and, and absolutely discouraged and depressed for not just a couple days, which can happen easily, but for long periods of time. Listen, number one in your outline under B, they were unthankful. They glorified not. 
Turn to other worship. Number two, immoral and unnatural conduct. Out of keeping with the Creator. It's, it's pretty bad. I mean, has that, yeah, Sodom Gomorrah and all up through there, but it's pretty bad today. It's not getting any better. Like Pastor Carl said, we're not living in an amillennialistic type of mentality where we're just going to keep working until we see the world getting better and better and better. The world's not getting better and better and better. Letter C. Saul's progress in the consequences of his sin. In 1 Samuel, and this is in 1 Samuel chapters 13 through 31. We're going to read every verse in all these chapters tonight. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Great! You're getting me now. Uh, okay. I love it. Saul's progress in the consequences of sin. I do want you to turn to chapter 15, please. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You're going to see this pop out at you, and you're probably very familiar with this passage. His downward starts in chapter 13, actually in verse 8 through 14. Chapter 13. Look at chapter 13, and look at verse 8. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, talking about Saul, King Saul. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering of burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, an offering, a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. You just hear the prophet talking to the king. You've done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which has he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Verse 14, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Does Saul need some biblical counsel? Yeah. Could you give it to him? You could. Yeah. You could give it to him. He was believing the devil's lie. He's not supposed to do the sacrifice. The prophet's supposed to be. And he didn't listen. He just took things into his own hands, folks. And so we see... Actually, number one and number two, I'll just list those to you. We see partial obedience, and then we see adds to the word. And if you want, uh, go ahead and turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15 now. First, Samuel chapter 15, and look at verses 1 through 3. And Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent to me. 
to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalekite did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and what? Smite. What's smite mean? Kill. Kill. Go kill the Amalekite and utterly destroy all. Utterly destroy what? All. Right? A-L-L. All that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Okay? Pretty clear words from God's prophet, right? Clear? Think you could do? I mean, I'm not asking if you could go kill, do, do all that killing. But could you follow those clear instructions? Were they clear enough for you and I? Yeah. They're clear enough for you and I. Go to verse 8 now. And Saul here, he took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the sword, edge of the sword. Doing pretty good, right? But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, refuse, uh, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, here's God and God's prophet. It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. That's how much it grieved Samuel. King Saul, partial obedience adds to the word. Look at verse 22, folks, in this chapter. 22, we start seeing it coming out now. Open rebellion. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, Here it comes. I've sinned. For I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Now, do you have a little pity on Saul? You're like, okay, Saul, okay, that's fine. Feared the people more than feared the Lord. Didn't cut up, you didn't kill Agag, you didn't kill all the sheep, you didn't obey God's prophet. Folks, here's our instructions. And this is perfect. And I'm not saying that we don't mess up, we don't sin, and it's not hard, and that we're not weak, and we're not fleshly. I'm not saying any of that. We all struggle. We all have difficulties. But the Lord has given us an example here that is, here's my word, my counsel, and here is the devil's lie from the very beginning of the outline I showed you. And so you got a choice. You pick my word, or you pick the devil's lie. And that's what King Saul did. He had a choice, folks. He had a choice. 
And it winds up in chapter 28, you don't have to go there, but Saul seeks wicked counsel, number four in your outline. And number five, I do want you to go here. Turn over to chapter 31. And number five, Saul's suicide. 31, Saul's suicide. Look at verse 1 now. The Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down, slain Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and men there and sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hid him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. So what does he do? Then said Saul unto the armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith. Thus these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me, said they were going to torture him, and he didn't want tortured. But the armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell upon it. He commits suicide, folks. No matter how you study the passage, he commits suicide. Took his life in his own hands. That's a downward spiral. When we have God's word and we have Satan's lie... We have one or two choices to make from our heart of hearts. Follow God's word. And it is hard to follow God's word sometimes, isn't it, folks? Sometimes it's hard. I mean, I can, we can all be pious and say, oh, it's so easy, it's so good. Like, it is great, but it, it can be hard. And it does cause persecution sometimes. But it's always right to take God's counsel, God's word versus Satan's lie. Okay, so number three on your outline. So we see this need for biblical accounting began when wrong counsel was chosen at the very beginning. And we looked at the downward spiral in Cain's life and Saul's life. Mankind in Romans chapter 1, including everybody that's ever been born. Number three, where are we today? really where we want to get at. Where are we today in your life and in my life? Where are we today? 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you run over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. Where are we today? 2 Timothy chapter 3. You see verses 1 through 13, and I'm just going to kind of read through these a little bit here. Letter A, where are we today? Okay, maybe things, maybe it is an amillennial. Maybe, maybe, Pastor Carl, maybe we're wrong. Maybe this is an amillennialistic uh, situation here. The world is getting better and better. Where are we today? Well, letter A, we're still looking at wholesale iniquity in verses 2 through 4. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So number one, there's a whole lot of self-lovers on this planet. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, right? Take up his cross and follow after me. It's a whole contrary to self-love. We have a whole bunch of self-lovers, and basically we were born as self-lovers. 
And even when we come to Christ, we have a hard time from our heart of hearts not being a self-lover instead of a God-lover because of our flesh. And listen, I don't want to blame it all on Satan. I don't want to blame a whole lot on Satan. It is his fault. But I'll tell you right now, he's not bothering me so much and the world isn't so much. It's more, more my flesh. I fight against my flesh every day and so do you. I'm not really that important for Satan to come after me with full force. But my flesh beats me up every day. I'm not saying that Satan isn't after you and he, that, that he wants to destroy you. But let's just not give him all the credit. In the big picture, yes, he gets all the credit. But your flesh, my flesh is strong, folks. Number two, covetous, lovers of money. Number three, unholy, profane. Number four, unnatural, affection, unnatural affection, unloving. And I know I'm not giving you enough time if these are blanks, but... Number five, without self-control. Without self-control. And you can go and read 2 Peter chapter 2, 14 through 19 later. It's a whole nother yucky list of depravity and evil hearts and wrong decisions and Satan counsel, Satan lies, and not following after God's counsel. Number six, Haters of good. Letter B, wholesale hypocrisy. Wholesale hypocrisy. I know it's discouraging to look at all this. Wholesale hypocrisy. Verses 5, 6, and 7. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And it goes on, letter C, verse 8, what I just read, wholesale apostasy. The reprobate concerning the faith. Verse 9, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Wholesale, let us see, wholesale apostasy. And that's a whole other subject, folks. Do you understand what apostasy is? Apostasy is not a believer coming into the church and going through uh, learning and growing and, and becoming more like Jesus Christ. Apostasy is lost people that come in. We all think they're, they're believers. We all think they're saved. And they look good. They smell good. They look like Christians. They dress like Christians. And actually, they kind of are under the umbrella of God's protection while they're in God's house and around God's people. But they apostatize. They leave God. They leave God's people. They leave the church. That's apostasy. It's not a believer walking away from God. It's a lost person that kind of a, like a leech attaches itself to you. And then you, they leave. And then letter D, wholesale persecution in verses 12 and 13. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Folks, we live today in a Corinthian-type society all over this world. And I, again, I don't want to go through the Corinthian church with you, you know there were so many problems. It's like the strainer when you do spaghetti. I love spaghetti. And uh, you strain it and there's holes everywhere. The Corinthians, there were so many problems going on. And 
Folks, the church can be that way. Christians can have problems. Christians, Christians can buy into Satan's lie that doesn't read Satan's lie, but they make the wrong decisions. They take the wrong counsel instead of God's word. And there's all kinds of difficulties going on in marriages and bringing up children and in church squabbles and frustrations and strife and with relatives and cousins and parents and you name it, the pressures of the world. Lastly, as we close, what are the alternatives? Okay, so we see the big picture. It's not an easy life out there, even for Christians and churchgoers, people that love the Lord. It's not an easy life. I couldn't tell you that once we leave tonight that you're not going to go home and you're not going to be tempted to sin. Could happen. Where, what are the alternatives? Letter A. We can quit. Many have quit. Number one, some do, but still play church. You know, I quit. I just, I just can't. I quit. And normally, those are the people that don't get help. They don't get biblical counseling. They don't get somebody to come up and love them. And to give them hope. Because, folks, there is no hope without God's word, is there? And when you come up to somebody that is just dying inside, and they're discouraged, and they're depressed, and they don't know what kind of decision to make, and they're just a mess. And pardon me, but the doctor says, I'm going to give you this prescription, and this prescription, and this prescription, and I should have never threw that out tonight, because I don't even have time to help you understand. I'm not talking about organic health problems. Okay? So I'll probably just unleashed a whole bunch of questions tonight. And there is legitimacy and needs for prescriptions. I got prescriptions at home. Blood thinner, all kinds of different body things going on. But the answer just isn't in prescription, prescription, prescription. The answer is in God's word. To help us and to give us hope. Knowing that God loves us. And knowing that God wants us actually to get to the point of a really a good, consistent walk with him and fighting temptation and having victory. Yeah, a little, uh, but we're having victory and we're, 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 we're actually telling other people about the circumstances that have happened to us and how we've had victory. And we're giving other people hope because, listen, I was here, but look where I am right now. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. God did this in my life. I was at the end of my ropes. I was on the downward spiral. But now God is using me in ministry. God is using me in the youth group. God is using me with the little kids. Look at what God is doing now. He wants to establish us and strengthen us and to, for us to have the solid rock of Jesus Christ, the foundation of our lives, so we can give other people hope and help. And mind you, Pastor Carl is probably the most equipped person to do this, and he goes after it his entire Christian walk and life, but it's just not the pastor's job. When somebody asks you a question, you, you, it's your responsibility to give them a Bible answer. Give them some hope. Give them some help. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have your master's. You don't even have to have your bachelor's. You don't even have to go to Bible college. You do have to be a Christian. You have to be saved, and you have to have some working knowledge of God's word to be able to help people and give them hope. Some quit. Don't quit ever. Don't ever quit. Number two, some quit by living pessimistic lives. Uh, 
I don't ever think my dad will get saved. I got one of the most difficult, stubborn, lost fathers that I could imagine. And I'm not giving you an understatement, folks. I just don't think he ever get saved. Man, I got to stop that. I got to pray for him every day. Some quit by living pessimistic lives. Listen, folks, letter A, but love believeth all things. Letter B, love has hope. Let her see, God is a God of hope. And that's a, you could call that a syllogism. Does anybody know what a syllogism is? I don't know. I think they turned it. I don't think it's called syllogisms anymore. I'm not sure. But uh, letter, uh, number three, some quit by blaming it all on Satan. Well, Satan just, you know, it's Satan. You know, I can't lick Satan and Satan's all. Listen, stop giving him too much victory. Stop giving him too much credit. All right? Stop giving him too much credit. Hand him, hand him, him the victory and fight. Give people biblical counsel. Give people, hey, I'm a creationist. God created the world not in a million years or, hey, he created, fight. Give him biblical truth. Amen. You know I'm not talking about fighting. I'm talking about be on the offense. Give people biblical counsel. Some quit by blaming it all on Satan. Some quit by resorting to cure all blessings. Number four, cure all blessings, the big experience. Boof, the big experience. Or, or the quick fix. The quick fix. Folks, let me tell you, slow, steady, consistent walk with Jesus Christ is what God is looking for. Years ago, when I went to Lafayette for biblical counseling, they said, you help people take baby steps. Baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. And that first baby step, all of a sudden, all these little baby steps, they are consistently, slowly, progressively growing in Jesus Christ. And that's where we want to be. Number five, some quit by saying, it's too late. I'll just evangelize. No need to change in my own life. Number six, some quit by turning to God's enemies to find out how to bring change in their lives. Why would we ever turn to God's enemy to figure out how to change in our own lives. Right, folks? Why would we ever do that? Number seven, some quit by just not coming to church anymore. I'm tired. I can't win. No, your pastor loves you. The leadership loves you. And there's brothers and sisters here that love you. So don't say, don't use, that's an excuse. I'm just quit. I'm not coming to church anymore. No, people love you. Right? So we can quit, as many have, or let her be, Paul had the answer, and you can go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know this probably very well. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and you can study this out, but let me finish out the outline. Number one, the word of God is God-breathed. The word is profitable for doctrine, reproving, correcting, training, instruction, and righteousness. Or that word change. It is right and, and, and it will help people change. Now, people might not want to change, but that's their own heart. But if they're willing to be teachable and listen, then it, it is a tremendous life changer. Change is God, God's business and the church's business, folks. His method is justification and sanctification. He justifies people and he sanctifies people. Number three, the word adequately equips. It either does or it's falsehood, folks. Right? It either does or it's falsehood. 
It either does or the church was at a loss until finally Freud and Skinner comes along, right? Praise the Lord for Freud and Skinner. No, no. Ditch that false worldly view and take upon this. That's Satan's lie. This is God's truth. And then God's reminder, number four. You will give an account for whether you use it or not. And these two passages, I, I don't know if I have these wrote down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is talking about the foundation, whether your works are going to, what, be like a, a gold, silver, and precious stone in the fire or hay, wood, and stubble. Are your works going to burn up or are they going to be lasting? And then the second passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is talking about the Bema Seat, the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema Seat, is that for lost people or believers? Believers. Yeah, if you're a believer here tonight, you're going to go to, before Jesus Christ, you're going to go before him at the Bema Seat. And I'm not, it's not a manipulation, it's like, it's just what it is. What, what we do with our life, serving him, loving him and loving his people, and giving our life, picking up the cross daily, and following after him. We'll give an account for how we use his word. Seriously, folks, you're just not going to go to heaven someday. And like, well, Lord, thanks for saving me. And it was a pretty good ride. It was tough, but I, I, let everybody, I let Pastor Carl, I let Pastor Carl do all the work. And he's a hard worker, Lord. You know that about your servant. I let him do all the work. I let Jim do all the work, but not me. I'm, I'm, I couldn't help people with God's word. No, we can help people. And again, you can simplistically help people with God's word. Or you can get some tools and do some studying and preparing and prep and prepare yourself. Listen, I just wanted you to see, and you know it, life is difficult. And the Cain's... The Cain situations, the Saul situations, the Roman one situations, they're out there everywhere. And we struggle as Christians. So there is a desperate need to take the Bible, and I'm not trying to talk about a formal counseling, biblical counselor, but there's a desperate need to take the Bible and simply say, hey, you want to get a cup of coffee? Hey, you want to come over for supper? Hey, let me talk to you for a few minutes. I had somebody call me this week and just say, I'm driving home. I have a half an hour drive. i got to talk to somebody. There's a desperate need to take God's word and give counsel or wisdom to other brothers and sisters because they need help. They need love. They need hope. They need Jesus Christ. Okay. So, Father, thank you so much for this evening. And... I continue to whet people's appetite. It's not like it hasn't been this way for many years here. Father, I know this place. I know the challenging from the preaching and the teaching and the, the call to use your word. And I'm just being repetitive over all these year, years here, just trying to continue the foundation that has been laid to continue to lay good words from your, from your good word. I pray that you would continue to excite people, help them to understand they are competent to use your word to help other people, to give them hope, and to help them come to a change in their lives biblically and turn from wrong thinking and actually wrong actions, sin actions. And Father, it's there all the time, every day, if we're just looking for to help people.
thank you now for your word tonight. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Satan is sly, isn't he? You know, and that, that concept of that spiral is a, a good image for us to keep in our mind because that that is how he operates. You know, it's kind of like, you know, circling the drain, right? And if you can just see that little particle and you're that, that soul is that particle getting closer and closer to that beginning fringe. Well, once you're caught in that vortex, it's just, down one bad action leads to another bad action and not that you can't break free free as God's spirit works in your heart that's why it's so important when we're trying to help other people to say you know set your boundaries out here be very sensitive to doing the right thing and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your life and because you know everybody's just one bad decision away from being a Cain Everybody's just, every Christian's just one bad decision away from being a King Saul. And so, uh, and sometimes it's us in that discipleship mode of coming and exhorting one another in meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted to help. It's kind of like the little gentle slap on the face, like, you know, do you realize what you're about to do? Here's the Bible. And uh, really doing it in compassion, as Jude said, of some having compassion, making a difference. God Help me to make a difference. That ought to be the prayer and the breath of our heart uh, as we go throughout the day. And it's exciting when God uses us, and he wants to use each and every one of us in that way.